Before you can create a healthy relationship with others, you first have to create a healthy relationship with yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk About It with your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Janie is a nationally respected psychotherapist, and on this show, she and her featured guests will help you discover and break patterns in your life that can contribute to self-sabotage and unhealthy relationships. Now, here is Dr. Janie Lacey. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. Do you remember what it felt like to be a teenager in love? I remember being a teen and listening to the words of Slick Rick's song that goes, a serious situation we all go through. It deals with your feelings, so hear what I say. It's like a day where nothing seems to go your way. Bust this. Two people, they really like each other. He says no one else, and she claims there's no other. The feelings are the same, and you receive a notion to reveal your inner thoughts and deeply hid emotions. A teenage love, a teenage love. Some of us also think about the devastating heartbreak that forever changes us. When you're 18 years old, breaking up with someone really, really hurts. What if that hurt feels so hopeless that the only way out is death? Today, our guest, Dr. Rolanda Schmidt, who is an author, motivational speaker, professor, but most of all, she's the mother of four, including her beloved son, Giovanni, who received his wings and her two bonus children. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rowe. Thanks for having me. We are so glad that you are here because we want to talk to you about a devastation that your family has gone through. And we want to talk to you so that other parents who may have opportunities to gleam wisdom from your story can do something different for the teens that they may know, maybe parenting. But I want to start because I want to maximize our time to hear about your beloved Giovanni and some of your greatest memories and raising him. So tell us a little bit about Giovanni. Giovanni was just full of life. Uh, when I think of him, I think of macaroni and Legos. He just loved both very well since he was a little boy. He would take like 2,000 pieces of Legos and put them together in a couple of hours. This was like his big to do. And he was like a little mini engineer in his own way. He had an entrepreneur spirit. I laugh about this. Um, his friends at the funeral talked about when he was uh, in second grade, I believe, he would sell fingers. Like you take paper fingers and put them on your fingers. He'd sell those to the first graders and kindergartners because he knew that they didn't know how to make them. He came home with like $85. I'm like, boy, where did $85 come from? Uh, but he learned how to do that over a period of time and always had this entrepreneur spirit. He smiled. He was kind of shy, green eyes, and he just, you know, closed his eyes and smiled. But I just, you know, my fondest memories of uh, is of him just smiling, loving on people. And he also was a soccer player. He, he loved soccer. He was a lefty and he kicked that soccer ball from second grade to about eighth, eighth grade. I'm smiling because I'm a lefty and I was a soccer player. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yes. He was a forward. So <laughs> I was a left forward. <laughs> wow, wow. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> So when you think about, you know, my son is nine and I think about the day where he's going to tell me he's in a relationship or he's going to tell me he likes a girl, you know, tell me a little bit about that experience um, with, with Giovanni. 
Sure. So Giovanni was, he had ADHD from when he was younger, but he wasn't diagnosed uh, until he got about 17 with um, high functioning autism. So it explains his younger years. He really did not like to be around a bunch of people. It was like his coordinate of maybe four or five kids. So his first like girlfriend relationship was probably I want to say like maybe ninth grade it was just like let's get together you know let's go to the park with mom and dad that kind of thing um as he turned 17 going on 18 he got his very first job and I was so proud of him I have to tell this part about him Mm -hmm. as a professor of business I've always said you know um be professional, especially when you get a job. And so we were at the movies and there was a big sign and it said, I'm hiring. And I said, Giovanni, um, you can't go into this interview with a t-shirt on. I said, you know, you gotta be dressed up. He goes, mom, if they don't wanna hire me how I look, then they don't need me. And he went, got the job at this theater and that is where he met his first quote unquote girlfriend, which led to his demise. So you said it led to his demise. So let, let's talk about that a little bit, you know, because I work with one of my areas of specialty is helping people heal from toxic relationships. And sometimes that can um, include domestic violence, emotional abuse, where in my sister's case, it led to her, her murder. So something mm-hmm. that, you know, I've shared with you. So when you think back now, before we, we understand what happened, I mean, what would you say you know, it's always in hindsight, no matter what happens, that we can see things differently when we're looking in the rearview mirror. Were there any signs of, from what our understanding is, of toxic relationship or something that you may have seen that you're thinking back now and and looking at it differently? Sure. So a couple of red flags for us. Um, My older kids would say that I spoiled Gino. I felt I was strict. So one of our rules were, if you're going to date this person, you need to do it in the open. Come, you know, in front of us. You cannot be riding in the car with her alone. It was just certain things. We just felt that his emotional maturity still wasn't there, even though he could drive and do all of that. So I got Gino's phone one time and I saw these texts and she was telling him, um, I want you to pick me up in your mom's car and, you know, kind of like directing him, not even directing him, but ordering him to do specific things. And he, you could tell he was uncomfortable by the responses. So I actually got the phone and responded myself. This is Giovanni's mother. <laughs> do not do this, this, this. And, you know, it was like, whoa. So what I didn't know was happening behind the scenes was once I intervene, um, there were conversations on the back end in writing rather than on the text because I I don't I judge that she figured if your mom gets the phone, she's gonna see what I say. So let me put this in writing. So it was not until Gino died that I saw the compilation of written letters to him, written um content as well as hidden documents in a Google document of things she was saying to him about me as a mom and how I didn't love him and, you know, just very manipulative language to a child to make them believe that they're not loved. And I'm not going to blame her completely. However, I will say there is an unhealthy way about which she were saying things to my son. The other part of this is um, 
we were alarmed, the whole family, with just certain things we saw. So my husband and I sat down with this young lady and her father and spoke to him and told us the concerns. Giovanni told us, um, you don't know her father. He's abusive. He tells her that she's ugly and I'm the only one that's the savior. And it was just strange. So my husband asked the father right in front of her about some of these comments. And she admitted that she was not telling the truth. And we were just looking at Giovanni like, okay, you want to be with a person like this? And she just put her head down and got mad at Gino for even saying anything to us and then text him later and said, you told your parents that? So those are things that are red flags. I don't care if you are 10, 12, 18, 30, 40. If anyone manipulates and or tells you that um, something healthy is not you know, a, a good thing, Thing, then they're the problem, not you. And so we could see that as adults and obviously Giovanni couldn't. So if I could go back in time, I would have nipped it in the bud right then. But even then, at it, at he was turning 18, I they might have ran off and got married for all I know, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I want to uh, recap that because, you know, to your point, it doesn't matter if they're a teen or if, as you said, it could be 50. When someone makes, you know, especially when we look at narcissistic type abusive relationships or just abusive relationships, they try to isolate you. So they'll isolate you and will tell you bad things about the people that are the closest so that you will push them away too. And then they have you all to themselves because then they can control you. And when they isolate you, then they're the only one that really loves you and care for you, right? So we'll see those toxic um, signs in those relationships. And then with a developing teen mind and someone that's getting validation and love, right? There, there could be confusion around that. I really like this person and I'm drawn to them, but I know my mom or my dad is not like, so it causes this confusion. So, you know, two of the signs that I, that I heard you say, you know, one is that psychological isolation, making the people that are closest to you, the bad people. And then secondly, it causes some type of confusion because what you probably know is not true, but yet this person who, and when there's chemicals and dopamine and feeling in love, especially if, you know, new love, it can feel like confusion and love should not be confused at all. So if there's a a parent that's listening right now and they're looking at their teen relationship, because I, what I heard you say is you did all the right things. You got his phone when you saw the red flag, you addressed it with her, you addressed it with your son. And then with him, with, with the family went over and had a, a family conversation. So from, my standpoint, you did all the right things. So when you say that you would have done something a little bit different for the parents that may be noticing, I think my teen is in a toxic relationship. I'm reading their messages, but I don't want them to know their messages. Something seems off. I mean, what would you say to them as far as how would you have addressed it? If anything would be, would be different. Get involved right away. I, I felt I did the right thing, but where I went wrong is I said internally, I'm going to you know, be the devil's advocate here. And I'm going to be nice to this person, no matter the red flags or not. And if I bring her closer, this is in my thought process and my husband's, if we bring her closer, perhaps it'll make this better. And I I just, my, my head just spins 
of the last three months that we allowed this. We took her to church. We took her to big events that involved things with my family. And I think back at this stuff that was happening, like I'll give you an example. We were in the car driving a long distance to an event and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, a blanket being brought out of a bag. And I thought, why is this chick, you know, pulling out a blanket? So I pulled down the little mirror and I said, no, you you need to put that back. And she says to me, you know, like a huff thing. And so she called her father on the phone. At that moment, I thought to myself, I think there's something mentally going on with her too. And I'm not a psychiatrist, but it just, you know, a normal person or somebody in a normal state would not go, let me call on an adult to my father. And I know the dad backed me because he said, you know, is it cold outside? No. Uh, You know, is there something going on? Because if not, you need to put this cover up. And what I learned is that she had unfastened a part of her, you know, bra or whatever, so that obviously my son could touch her in an inappropriate way. I was mortified. And, you know, we had no choice because we were almost at our location. And later on that day, my another one of my children got to meet this person, had never met them before, had not had a preconceived notion. And my children love everyone. I mean, everyone. But this vibe was given off to my older child as well as the person that they were with. They were like, what is going on? It was like a possessiveness. So to answer your question, I would tell parents, be involved. I don't care how old they are. Um, you know, if somebody's an adult, you can tell them once and they're going to do what they do. In my circumstance, it was different because my son was um, suffering with high functioning autism. So we were in the midst of trying to get guardianship, not to control his life, but to understand his medical history, um, figure out what his school stuff was and guide him. Where the, the most toxic part of this is, the mailbox, a a box came in the mailbox before Gino passed. And I said, what is in there? She had sent him his and her rings, like the kind of ring I have on my finger right now. And I'm like, what? And he's like, well, you know, we're going to move to this state over here and we're going to take the dog with us. And, you you know, my face, (laughs) like I could be laughing now, but I was like, oh, my goodness. And the first thing I could think of was, okay, I got married at 18 myself. I rushed to get out of the house. But this is different. We're not pushing you out. Someone is taking advantage, in my opinion, of your autistic state and going this way. Now, I'm not saying this girl is terrible. I really do believe she's got issues. I know that there's some childhood things. And I even was going to try to step in as this surrogate mom because she she doesn't have her own mom. But I can't do that. You can't separate it. You cannot make somebody else's issues your issue. My son was my issue. And that I should have just been like, no, (laughs) stop right now. But I can't. I can't bring Giovanni back. I would just tell parents, pay attention. At least if something happens, you use your voice to say something. And if they choose, that's on them. But if you don't say anything, it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life because you did it. I so appreciate your your vulnerability and, and sharing with us. You know, could you talk to us about when you found out that they broke up. I mean, what was that like for you? Or when did you come up into awareness of that? Man, it's so hard. So 
if I'm thinking back um, on it on Tuesday of the week that my son died, he died on a Friday. He was engaged in a uh, volunteer work that helps to feed children who are starving. And he had three male friends with him and they were going from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It was kind of like a school project. So he would get out of school half a day and then pick them up and he drove them. So on this day, on that Tuesday, he was running late and he wasn't answering the phone. So I called the young lady's father and said, is Giovanni with your daughter? Because I didn't know. And uh, I just kick myself now because what I learned is that it made her aware that Giovanni wasn't with, in her head, it's like, where's Gino? So what I heard back later from the young men is that um, she had called Gino, they were all together and um, berated him on the phone. They got in a verbal altercation with one another and said some not so nice things. Gino said some not so nice things and so did she. And she told him, I break up with you and my father will disown me. I'm sorry, yeah, disown me if I date you. And Giovanni took that like cutting to the core. I wasn't aware of this at the time, but that's what happened. So that night he came home at about 8.20. We were um, at the table with some company and uh, he opened the door and he was like drenched in water because it was raining and he had a hoodie. And I said, Giovanni, what's wrong? He said that they had broken up. So internally I was like, yes, thank you, Lord, you know, but he, I didn't realize how sad he was. So he went downstairs and then he comes back and he says, I want to go for a walk. And I said, look, you're a black teenager. We live in a predominantly Caucasian neighborhood and it is late at night. You are not going to walk down the street. He goes, well, I would just go outside. So he went outside and we noticed 20 minutes later, he he hadn't come back. So my husband said, I'm going to go look for him. We couldn't find him. So we called the police. Um, He must have saw the police coming because he came back inside. They actually took 30 minutes to talk to Giovanni very calmly. It was a couple of them and a third one went down. They came back and said, you know, he's just going through a breakup. It's sad. They gave me their card. They said, if anything happens, call us. So I felt like, okay, this will pass. That evening, the father texted me and said, I'm not sure if this is a serious thing, but my daughter is saying that your son might be suicidal and that I'm just paraphrasing what he said to me. And this was on Tuesday. So I I contacted uh, Giovanni about that. I contacted my other son and he called Gino as well. So this was Tuesday. Fast forward. And he hadn't shown any other signs of anything. But on Friday morning, he went to school early and he normally gets out at about 12 comes home and then he was going to go to this thing well he got home at about 8 30 and I said Gino why are you home so early he said I'm never going to go back to that school I will get my degree but I'm not coming mom and I said well you have a um, therapy appointment at 10 I was going to come pick you up at school so you don't have to leave at your car he goes I'm going to go to therapy I look back at that now and I thank God just wanted me to know everything because I would not be able to tell you right now. We went to therapy. My husband was on speaker and Gino basically in a gist long story short said, um, we got into this fight. He explained everything that happened and that's how I know about it. And he said, how could she not want me? And how could her dad think I'm the worst boyfriend. I've done everything. I opened the door for her. And it's just like his mind could not get off that fact. And so the therapist said, 
Well, from what I've seen, this is a manipulative situation. Why do you want to be with someone like that? And mind you, this is a therapist who knew my son from four years old. Okay. So Gino said, because I love her. That's what I heard him say. It was heartbreaking now to think back at it. We got done with the session. I went to Popeye's, got my son some macaroni, um, got in the car, drove to a friend's house to get some donations and came home. And at about um, one, uh, one or so, the phone rings and it's the school. And they're like, Ro, is Giovanni home? And I said, no, because I heard the door close like 20 minutes before. And I said, oh, he just left without talking to me. She said, no you need to find your son. So I'm thinking what? So I went downstairs, could not find him. Everything was off. And I went in the garage. His car was there. So I thought, okay, this is weird. I go downstairs. He is hiding behind his door. He was um, like his hand was, hands were in his knees and he, you know, kind of bent over to look at me and he's just bawling. And I said, Giovanni, what is wrong? He goes, who's on the phone, mom? And those were his last words. I came, I said, let me get her off the phone because I, I wanted to pay attention to what he was telling me. So I'm coming up the stairs to get her off this call. And she's at the same time saying to me, we had to call the cops. She didn't say why. But just as I got to the top of the stairs, the doorbell rang and I get to the door and I open it. And the police officer's like, hi, ma'am. And we both hear bang, you know, just a loud bang. And I froze. I froze. I said, what the heck is that? You know, what in the heavenly father? I just didn't understand. And they already knew because Giovanni had sent um, two different texts. And I saw this later. He sent a text to her early in the morning. And he said, I'm going to kill myself at this time. And if you tell anyone, I'm going to do it sooner. And she never said a word. And I'm not blaming her, but I'm just telling you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think about, it's not her fault. He did it. But why not say anything? It, because there were continuous conversations between them. That's one. Number two, um, he sent a bullet to the other friends. Mm. And they are the ones who told. That's why the police were able to get there. So if it wasn't for the way it went down, Gino would not have had his organs donated. So that's the only solace I can have. But looking back at it and hearing his words, I just wish that he never met her. And that's just my my feeling as a mom. I don't hate her. I just wish he never met her. So it's your story. It's your story. You were there. It's your son. Yep. It's hard. It is. I love him. You know, he'll always be with us. And I pray she gets the help she needs. Um, It's not her fault what somebody else does, but you can contribute to the situation you're in. And to me, it feels like now, is this somebody who relishes in the fact that this person died for you? Because in essence, when I look back at it, my son had surrounded himself with her clothes. He was down on that ground and all her clothes were surrounding him. And he had text. I will never look at another woman. He texts that to her. It just, it just hurts so much. It's like, he deserved to live. He should be here. But God had other plans. He didn't take him from me. He just allowed it. And it's hard. So I will advocate to the day I stop breathing 
for many things. Autism, which is why I wear blue, his favorite color, suicide awareness, toxic relationships, it all encompasses each other, organ donations. I mean, there are miracles one by one out of this tragedy, but it hurts a lot. So. Lose a piece of you that day. Yeah. And for you to to be able to to look back and, and tell your story, his story, Right. And 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 I and I do want us to, to go into this. We're going to in a break in a few minutes, but but, but 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 talk to us. We have two minutes before we go to our break. Talk to us about and then we'll get into it after our break. How his light is still shining. You know, it's so amazing that we got to the hospital and I knew he was gone because I heard his last breaths here. Um, when they got him to the hospital, they came in and said, you know, Ro, he's not going to make it. They gave us a list of um, six people who were going to get major organs, not their names, but their ages and states. And my husband said, um, doesn't our attorney need a kidney? And I said, yeah, but you can't pick them. And the nurse said, well, actually, you can if they're a match. And long story short, my attorney was a match. Um it's a, it's a miracle. He's in his late 50s. He had been waiting for almost four years and actually had given up that no one would match him. And so I, I still can't believe it to this day. And when I look at him, he'll smile and say he's been hungry for macaroni or something. <laughs> like, How does that happen? But, you know, it just makes us smile that Gino lives in him. He lives in many others with his tissues, his skin grafts, his eyes uh, went to someone to help them. And yeah, he's all over. He so. has beautiful eyes. I was looking at yes. your video that you posted of teaching him how to drive. Yes. And yes. What, a, what a handsome boy. Those, those memories and those videos that you have that will, will live on and show who he was to, yes. to all of us. Yes. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm so blessed to have had him for 18 years. So then with, um, and, and this would be something just for parents that may not be aware, but teens can, uh, well, I don't know what the proper term would be, but they can consent to giving their, their organs on their driver's license. Is that correct? Yes, they can. Just check the box. Yes, on your driver's license. Anyone can do that. Mm-hmm. And if something happens, that's the first thing they're going to mention. Yes, you know, give your organs and you can register now even you know, at registerme.org. So anyone can register to give their organs at registerme.org. Yes. Now, we are so thankful for your vulnerability and sharing and opening up the the doors and the windows to your story so other people can be inspired to not only intervene, but, you know, to save a life. We'll be right back. Let's talk about it with Janie Lacey. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you often attracted to unavailable partners? Feel like you can't stay but can't leave a toxic relationship? Obsessed with thinking about a current or former lover? Feel resentful that you're always taking care of the other person? The Woman Redeemed Therapy Program is for women who want to break free from toxic relationship patterns so they can find the love they truly deserve. This program is a safe, nurturing environment, essential for building self-worth and acquiring the tools to work through challenges and create your best self. We invite you to begin the journey today to start building the new you. Call 407-622-1770 or visit LifeCounselingSolutions.com. That's LifeCounselingSolutions.com. 
Are you living day by day, nervous, in fear, or constantly feeling overwhelmed? This is probably due to an anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders can develop from many different factors and can affect each and every person differently. Anxiety disorders can develop because of genetics, personality, stressful life events, and many other reasons. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America reports that more than 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety-related illnesses and anxiety is also considered the most common mental disorder in the United States. You don't have to suffer alone. Call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit lifecounselingsolutions.com today. Has your anger ever taken you somewhere you regretted? Have you ever said something in anger that you wish you could take back? Have you ever hurt anyone as a reaction of your anger, physically or emotionally? Let's face it. Anger is a part of life. We all experience anger in our lives at some point. The question we need to ask ourselves is whether this has become a habit. What matters is how we deal with it. So call Life Counseling Solutions at 407-622-1770 or visit OrlandoAngerManagement.com today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Let's Talk About It with Dr. Janie Lacey. To reach the show today, please call into 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Janie at lifecounselingsolutions.com. Now back. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey. We're here with Dr. Rowe, and she is sharing the story of her dear beloved Giovanni. And we want to, I actually want to go back to some things that you and I were just talking during, during the break. So I had just asked her during the break about some things that we can do to support her, to support her cause, to bring awareness. And um, you were sharing a few things. I just want you to repeat a few things so that those that are on the, uh, the radio and that will later hear this uh, broadcast can hear it as well. Sure. So basically what I was saying, and I brought my bear so you can see it, um, <laughs> back in, in the 80s, I was kidnapped and I was abused and I was rescued three years later. So it's always been a part of my life. I am not a victim. I'm a victor or victress. And um, I've taken that energy from that stress and channeled it to helping other people. Because I'm a busy person, the only thing I can do is one big event a year. So for the last, since 2006, I take journals because writing is therapeutic, even for little kids scribbling on stuff. So I take journals and I slap my little sticker on the top of them from the donations I receive. I also take this bear. So this is comfort, courage, the comfort bear. And I take his little mask with the cape and give it to these children. And I do that through the police stations because there's a lot of reports of negativity. You maybe can't get the address, but they'll drop the packages off. Um, so I decided a year ago, wait a minute, this is so bizarre. This blue, which was formed a long time ago, is the same blue as the advocacy of Giovanni. Suicide mm -hmm. awareness, um, autism, high-functioning autism, as well as Gino's favorite color. So I incorporated, I, I made my nonprofit legitimate. 
um, last year in October. So now it is a 501c3 based out of Minnesota. It's called No More Crap. And it's a acronym for No More Children Ripped Apart from Parents. So what we do, um, it used to be on my birthday. Now it's on Gino, it's September 15th, is have all the donors come with journals, with either bears that are naked and then I clothe them, mm -hmm. um, and socks. Because in Minnesota, it is ridiculously cold. And there's a lot of children and parents who don't have that luxury. We'll do more things. But right now, that's what I can do to give back. Um, we also decided, um, as I have been going through grief, which I've never gone through anything like this before, um, it's been hard. I have people in my corner, but sometimes I don't like to be a burden on other people or tell them, look, I am sad today. But with Mother's Day coming, and this is not to negate fathers, I'm just speaking of my whole it's hard. I have other kids. I love them, but it will never be the same for me. So I believe it's important to give back something small to those moms to let them know that angel is looking over them and they're loved. So we're collecting just gift cards um, from like caribou gift cards to give to the mom. And I have handwritten cards that have been made by churches, by other people and people across the country to help give that to kids. So and, and families and moms. So at this juncture, that's what I can do. I foresee this pivoting into ministry for me. Um, I am very strong about um, toxic relationships, teenage kids, especially African-American males, not understanding that Jesus is first. And I'm a Christian, so for me, it's Jesus. Jesus is first, not some girl or guy that's in your face saying, it's all about me. I want to change that trajectory. The other thing is, um, I have noticed that there's a lot of suicide rate that has increased in the LGBTQIA community. So being Christian, lots of Christians are against you know, that situation. And I understand, but it doesn't mean close the door and say, look, don't come in my church. So why can't we understand that there's an, a measure of love versus shunning? And there, there's two different things. So that's my ministry. I've lived it with two big uh, circumstances in my life with my children, with my youngest now. And um, I just want to change one life. So if I can help do that by advocating, raising awareness, partnering with people who want to do something for these type of circumstances, I'm all in. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think when I hear you talk about ministry, I mean, there's so many people that, especially hearing a story from someone who's walked through it and has gone through it. I mean, it just has a different impact and you creating that awareness for people. But I, I want to pivot and I'm going to come back to Mother's Day because we hear the dog. And, uh, you know, we were, we're talking about before we started about the significance of the little dog that we're hearing in the background. You yes. want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So Roman is a Morky. Uh, let's see, what is it? Maltese and a Yorkshire mix. And um, before Gino passed, the doctor said instead of pumping him with a bunch of medication, it might be good to get him a therapy puppy. So a friend of mine brought him a dog. I have that on video the day before Christmas. She surprised him. He opened the door. She's like, are you Giovanni? He's like, yeah. She hands him this box. And it was just so lovely. 
loving. And the, my kids are in the background going, what? You got him a dog? You would never get us a dog, you know, <laughs> instead of enjoying the moment. But uh, he lived for nine months, um, Gino did, before passing. And now the dog, my husband's bringing him here, is two and a half. This is Roman. If everybody Look at him. <laughs> he is... Uh, now he's trying to get back to my husband because <laughs> he's a, he like latches on to his person. And if you do something, it's like, that's my person. But yeah, he's two and a half and it's been 18 months since Gino's been gone. So it's been fascinating me because I've never had a dog that um, I took out a sweater that Giovanni had and I put it on the floor and Roman just scratched it for 30 minutes and he kept looking over at his bed like, are you there? And I just mm -hmm. cried. I bawled. Um, I repurposed Gino's room into a craft room and my mm -hmm. intention is to uh, take the little clothes that the kids didn't take and um, make a a quilt out of his clothes so that's mm -hmm. my task for the year if I can even get through it because it's so sad you know to me so but Roman gives me life <laughs> I was gonna say you know in the midst of your devastation and your heartbreak because grief is a process that you finding these outlets to keep Giovanni alive not only in the craft but you know his organs and and just telling his story and bringing so many other parents and people awareness by being so vulnerable because you are sharing your story so that you can inspire others which is why I want to go back to Mother's Day um, for a little bit so tomorrow I'll be speaking at an event with um, a bunch of mothers that they're having a, an event for bereaved Mother's Day and a lot of them have lost, ch lost children. So I'll be one of the, the guest speakers with Cora Jakes Coleman. So I want to hear your, um, like, what would you say to moms as we we're talking about Mother's Day, to your point, that have lost children? And as we see the commercials and all the stuff that it forever changes you and leaves a hole. I mean, what would you want people to know? So when people don't know what to say, as we we're talking about before, they don't know what to say, they don't know what to do. So sometimes people even, you know, to me have an adverse effect, they'll just avoid the person who's lost their child. And a lot of that is out of fear, not wanting to say the wrong thing or not knowing how to do it. What, what can you share with people so that they don't have those adverse reactions? I would just be as authentic as possible. Never ask a parent, like, what happened to your kid? That kind of thing. But let them know you love them. You are there for them, that their kid is looking over, you know, at them from heaven. Um, it, there's a hole. It will always be. It brings me back to um, there's a family here in Minnesota that went through the exact thing we did. And their child, I remember him in the casket three years before that saying, my goodness, this looks like Giovanni. So it was just so eerie, right? Um, when we when Gino was in the hospital, we asked that they want to come and they just said we can't. But they did come after, like later, the mom was the last parent to come here with food. And she brought me this little book. I don't have it in front of me, but I can tell you what it is. And it's just a little tiny book. And it had like 15 pages. Well, I opened the middle and it said, you are not a bad mom. And I choke up when I think about it. It's like, you think about a lot of things will happen. You'll have these memories. And in the back of your head, this committee meeting is in there saying, wait a minute, was I a good mom? Did I tell him this? Did I tell her that? You are a good mom. You're a loving mom. You're a beautiful mom. And you did all you could when you were on earth, even if they were ripped from you, that God gave you this gift for however many years that is to be this person's parent and they love you and God loves you. That's what I would say. But that made an impact on me, that particular book. Um, and it was just short and quaint, but I open it often to say, wow, 
this made me feel like a good mom. I think you said something very powerful and I don't want to miss it in the sense that it's normal and it's okay that even when moms in their in their mind, right, with working with a lot of people in grief, sometimes they have, to your point, you're using the term committee, these questioning of their mind, even looking back at, well, what if I what if I could have done something different? I should have said something, or you know, even as you were sharing in your own story that you wish you would have intervened and done these all these things. I mean, and how can you share with us? I mean, how do you help? control those voices in your mind. You know, I know you're a woman of faith, so we, we know that that's probably a strong pillar, but I know a lot of people struggle with that, Dr. Rose, just that, that what if and that self-blame and that guilt that, you know, that can hinder them to not be able to move forward in, in ways that can be powerful. They can, we can get stuck in the pain and, 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 and I see that time and time again in mobility because of that, that pain, because the six inches between our ears, the things that we share with ourselves. I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit. I mean, I know that you're still walking through the grief in many ways, but, you know, yes. we're, we're watching your life in the sense that you're turning that pain into purpose, into an inspirational message to, to create impact. But I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on that. So four things that come to mind. Number one, faith is first. So I do a lot of prayer and prayer, I believe, answers everything. I I just believe that. I've seen it. Secondly, my husband and I right away went to a program called Grief Share, and it's around the entire United States. It is a Christian-based program, but it's only $15 in some states and free in others. You're just paying for a book. And it's got 13 weeks of the things that you would go through grieving, anger, you know, uh, stress, whatever those things are, regret, all of the issues that a parent or a person would have when they lose someone. It seemed a little early. It was raw for me and I didn't feel like talking and you don't have to talk, but you go there and you're sitting amongst people who are dealing with the same pain. So they kind of help you. They'll show you a video and then you split up in groups and you're in an intimate setting. What stays, what's said there stays there and it's amazing, but it's griefshare.org. So we did that together. Um, having support. My husband, it's just him and I, we're empty nesters by default at this time. So it gets lonely and very surreal, but we have each other. We have our church, we have our church family, um, clubhouse, you know, people mm-hmm. like you that we meet that are saying, hey, we're there for you. The other part of it is um, it, it's, it's really hard, but therapy is a must. And I'm not just saying that because of your profession. I don't care who you are. People have this stigma about, oh, you know, if you go to therapy, you're crazy. Or if you do this, it's not about crazy. It's about talking to the qualified ears that can help you. I'm a private person. Even though I'm telling Gino's story, there are certain elements of it that I would never say to anybody except a qualified ear. And to have that be released is the the biggest blessing that somebody can have. So therapy for me, some of the tips that I've learned is um, I have a book and I started it a year ago and every day I write 10 things in there that are affirming to me. So like, I am phenomenal. I am beautiful. Even if I don't believe that, I'm a good mother. I'm fantastic. What? Sorry about that. I'm fantastic. I'm a loving mom. I'm spectacular. All the things that 
I would want to hear somebody say to me like my son. So right now I could actually go back and print a book that's this big because I have it. And so I go back and revisit those things. I also have my own little gratitude. It's like a thank you. I tell God in a book, these five things I'm thankful for so that I'm not reflecting on what I don't have. Because if I sat there and did that, like, man, I don't have Gino today or this or that, my husband would be worried. Like, are you going to do something to yourself? So I can't be in that frame of mind. I have to surround myself with positive thoughts, with positive people, with people who amplify me. And then I try to do the same for somebody else because I've been there. I'm walking it now. So verbalizing that you need therapy, anyone. So, yeah. To professional help and then doing things that you can help build yourself up and change that internal dialogue. Um, I, and, and doing it consistently is also what, I, what I'm hearing. You yes. Know. And one last thing, sorry, that I just thought about self-care. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing that before. Like I, yes, I'm busy and I would, um, you know, eat and all that, but not like until therapy. So they said to me, Ro, when is the last time you did something for yourself? Even as small as doing a puzzle. So there's times in the middle of the day, I'll just go take a, a hot steaming bath just because. And it's just like, thank you, Lord, you know, or feel lotion, go outside and smell the grass. Um, you know, now I picked up a hobby so that when I was telling you about the quilt, it's not just a memory of Gino, it's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. I don't know everything that I'm doing, but I'm learning it as I go. And it's like, it helps to put my thought process in a positive light of my son rather than man, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Lastly, a friend of mine who also lost her son, the same one said she was moving a dresser in her house and on the wall, it had like some curse words of her son saying that she was the worst mom. And I say this about self-care because if I if, if I saw that for Gino, it would play over and over in my mind. Oh my goodness, maybe he did this because of this. Now, I'm not saying that my son didn't get mad at me sometimes too, but self-care kind of helps you release all of that junk, you know, like write down all the bad stuff and just leave it. It's like, I can't do anything about it symbolically burn it, you know, and sometimes write it down and actually literally burn it outside in that fire pit. It's just like a relieving feeling. So I'm 50 now, you know, of years of age, and I'm learning things that I didn't know even, you know, in my younger years. So moving forward, I would tell somebody, just get help and take care of yourself. That self-care is essential from even if it's a cup of coffee in the morning, you know, mm-hmm. so Yeah. To get that support, self-care, really work on the mindset and do things that can combat any, because the negative voices will be there, right? The research says 69% is automatically negative without even going through trauma. So now going through trauma just creates much more of a battlefield of, of the mind. You know, you were sharing with me, and I was wondering if you can speak a little bit about it, just around the statistics in particular around Black men and and suicide, because we don't talk about that. And it's not a statistic that's well known. And and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about that as you continue to advocate for suicide awareness. Sure. Yes. So the day that Gino died, a couple of days later, a statistic came out here in Minnesota. And they were talking about how uh, over the last seven years that statistically 
in black young males, uh, suicide has risen by 63%. I'm like, what? You know, there's not enough black people in Minnesota for that to happen, <laughs> but it is happening. And it's not just here. It's an epidemic around the world. We've seen, you know, frontline cases of it. And I'm thinking, what is it? Is it medication? Is it relationships? After what I went through, I do believe there's a mental process that people ignore, whether they're black, white, or whatever. It's like, oh, I don't have mental health issues, or there's just too much of a stigma, so let me not get help for that. I can just, you know, talk to my friends, and they're going to help you. Well, it makes me think uh, of this. Giovanni, and I think back of this a couple of years ago, Gino had whispered to my husband and I one time that some friends had told him at school that all you have to do is take a little pill and you don't have to worry about life anymore. This is a couple of years before he even passed away. That is going around. That this These are conversations that young people are having. So as parents, if we're not asking, your kids are not going to tell. But if you say to them, and this is just my opinion, I know that there might come a time that somebody's going to talk to you about suicide or about taking their lives. It's okay to come talk to me about it. I'm not going to be mad at you, but let me know. And if they say anything about, you know, pills or guns or whatever, come talk to me. So that way they don't carry that pressure with them of, ooh, do I say this or that to my parents? It's like preventative. So I would definitely advocate for that piece because there's things that I missed now that I look back that I could have said, hmm, this is really, really a red flag and maybe it would have stopped things. I don't know. So I think a key piece that that you're sharing and I want to um, reiterate it for for parents or, or even adults, that if someone is saying they're they're thinking of taking their life or anything in that realm is to take it serious. Because sometimes I'll hear time and time again, especially with teens and speaking in colleges, is sometimes people will think, well, we just thought they were joking. We weren't taking them serious. And so, it, you know, it sounds like even in, in Gino's story that his friends took him serious. They did. I'm, I'm so thankful to those young men. And um, on Gino's year anniversary, they went to where he's buried and they left his Sour Patch candy. And we just thought that was so cute because it was their inside joke. They'd buy the big Sour Patch candies and they left it there for him. But they remembered him. And I'm like, if he just knew, even as many as people that was at that funeral pre-COVID, how loved he was, it would have made that difference. So just knowing those things and man, you know, staying active in your kids' lives. And I don't care what nobody says, look at their phones. <laughs> you know, look in their backpacks and their pockets. You don't have to tell them you're doing it, but look in it anyway. Um, you just will be surprised at the things we found. And I'm not even saying all of it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, in, in fact, Gino had a drawer that was missed and I opened it and I sat on the floor and bawled. And in those letters, you know, his his uh, girlfriend with her ex was telling him, I know your mom doesn't care anything about you. I know she doesn't love you. Well, I have those. So I talked to my husband about it. We prayed about it. And he said, send it to her father because then that he, you can leave it with him so he can deal with this, but this will let her know why you are feeling the way you feel. Well, a month and a half later, I get an anonymous letter in the mail. It had an address, but no name. And I just thought, oh, somebody's sending more. And it was her. Long story short, telling me she was upset that I did not 
let her speak at the funeral because she was so close to Giovanni. So you can imagine as a mom, what I said from that, because I was really angry. My husband said, you have to understand you're dealing with a child as well, a broken child, whatever the, the issues are that are going on. So don't respond pray about it, go to her dad and say, you know, I can't deal with this right now. And I didn't want her doing the same thing Gino did. So I did ask my pastor to come over here. She didn't come, but her parents did. We prayed with them in our living room, relinquished all of this. I gave him back her stuff in a loving way and relinquished that. And Mm -hmm. I wish none of that ever happened. I wish we can go back in time. I don't, completely blame her, but I will say that many of the actions and the things I've seen, those letters, that was the cutting core for me as a mom. You know, so digging in their stuff, do it. <laughs> no. Look in their drawers. Do that. Because if I saw that before, that was a way of let me give you writing so your mom doesn't look at your text. Cause I mean it's a it's that much that it was that many letters. So I think you are proving a point that I've been preaching for quite some time. And this is that point, Dr. Rowe, is that especially when kids are still dependent, I don't believe in complete childhood privacy. And I believe that it's it's different if you are doing things from our own dysfunctional place of control. I think you should do things from a place of awareness to know your children is to also know that as parents, they may not come to you for everything, but there may be things that they don't come to that you may need to have awareness of it. So I'm a big believer on like filters on especially um, protecting young, especially younger children and, and protecting them, having filters, having monitoring things and having certain boundaries. And, and I think a lot of times though, the kickback I'll get is exactly what you're saying is people are like, well, that, I don't have a reason to worry childhood pr- trauma or, or privacy and all these other things. I don't want to cause any childhood trauma, all these other things, because my parents read my journal and all this other stuff. But, you know, I, I think there's a balance to it. And that's what I'm hearing you, you say is that, yes. especially when you know your children and you know that there's something off to not be afraid to go and check things out. Yes, please. I I beg of the parents. And this is not about breaking the law. It's about saving a life. And you can't stop everything. But at least if you have the opportunity to say at once, this is not right. This is not healthy, that you did the best you could. But if you don't know and don't look, you'll never know. Absolutely. So we're we're almost coming to our to our end. So so two things, Dr. O. First, I want to just thank you so much for spending your time here on Let's Talk About It with Janie Lacey and just sharing your vulnerability and sharing Gino's story with us and just shining a light not only on organ donation, but um, toxic teen relationships and suicide awareness. I mean, all these things are so, so important. You know, so if people want to support you, follow you, um, be a part of the things that you have going on, how can we stay in touch with you? Sure. If they just go to drrolanda.com, so it's D-R-R-O-L-A-N-D-A.com. All of my social media handles are on there, as well as my nonprofit link to nomorecrapamerica.org. They can find me and um, you'll see Gino's story as well. And I appreciate anyone that is helping out another family who has gone through what we have. And I heard today announced when we were at the breakfast table, so to speak, that you'll be having a segment with the Breakfast of Champs. <laughs> so yes. I'm looking, looking forward to continuing supporting you and gleaming um, from your experience so that we can also help and inspire other people. So thank you so much, Dr. Rowe. Thank you. you know, 
The strongest person in the world is a grieving mother that wakes up and keeps going every morning to keep her son's light shining in the world. And that's Dr. Rowe. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Janie Lacey. Thank you for tuning in. Let's Talk About It can be heard live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Janie Lacey, for another edition of the show next week. 